trouble so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. And you are, in fact, listening to the Radical Reverend Show here at CIUT 89.5 FM. And we are, as always, well, almost always, very, very live. Uh, And I want to, first of all, because otherwise I'll forget, to thank our uh, reliable Riley, our tech, on the other side of the glass. Uh, Today we are talking to a couple of uh, very interesting folk. Um, First of all, uh, do stay tuned. We've got David Gray Donald on the line. He is the publisher and editorial director of The Grind, uh, a new publication in Toronto that's definitely worth picking up. And then second up on the show, uh, we have Ayena Vermillion. And Ayena is uh, an activist. Uh, she's an organizer of sex trade workers uh, and an advocate and also a trans act- advocate as well. So stay tuned for uh, Yena too. Uh, Dave, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Hello, great to be here. So let me uh, tell the the listeners out there a little bit about you. Uh, you were the publisher of Briar Path from 2017 to 2019. You're the author of The End of This World about, uh, of course, the climate crisis. And you did work for environmental defense before that. Why the grind? Well, I'll tell you the story of how it came into being, which was there's a number of us who were working in the indie media world so like you said, I had worked at Briar Patch. I used to write sometimes for Now Magazine, back when it was in print. And there's folks from The Hoser, which is a great online outlet in Toronto. And we were seeing what was happening to Now Magazine. Uh, if, if people don't remember, what happened was it was sold in 2019, and then the parent company declared bankruptcy in March of last year, and then the staff weren't getting paid. And then in August of last year, after 41 years, the staff said, we're done, we're not getting paid, this is the last print issue. And so a city of Toronto, you know, the, the, Toronto being you know, 3 million people at least, GTA more like 5 or 6 million, would have no free political paper in the transit system or at cafes and bars. So we thought, we got to do something. And we got uh, got together and planned something out. And then in October, right around the last election, uh, municipal election, we put out our first issue of The Grind. It was uh, 28 pages on newsprint, lots of politics, some arts and culture. And now we put out issue four in May, uh, late April actually. Issue four was a little bit about the election, and it's 24 pages on newsprint. There's stuff about cycling in the city. There's stuff about the green belt, transit, lots of original reporting, housing, of course, and then quite an extensive arts and culture section and uh, two pages of event listings. Speaking so we're trying to keep print alive. That's the basic story. And thank you. Uh, speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show to uh, David Gray Donald, and uh, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Some would say this is about the most foolhardy venture 
you can uh, possibly entertain is a print is a print uh, paper that is given away, uh, and and they would look at now and the trajectory of now. Um, I met Alice Klein just uh, to to be transparent way back when we were basically kids. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, we were young socialists together, and uh, her and Ellie Kersner and that, and so I was around. I was there around the beginning of now, and, uh, and of course we were all like. You know, it was so sad to see that it uh, its demise, and and the grind. Just if you haven't seen it out there and you you want to pick it up, it has a kind of now now vibe to it, and mm-hmm. you know it really does. Um, I loved your look at Merrill candidates, so I wanted to talk to you about that first and foremost. Sure. Um, uh, and the heading, just so you know, is. This is the best we got, <laughs> which is which is pretty hilarious. Um, so so we're now in the midst of the I don't know like how many a hundred sixty I don't know I've lost track of the number of mayoral candidates we have, um, but certainly when you look at the the front runners uh, and I've had many of them on the show um, here, Dave. So, but I mean one of the distressing things to me about all of them uh, is this reluctance to talk about the police budget. Um, have you noticed that too? <laughs> yes, that's a, a big, I mean, there's a huge scare in the city um, for anyone that tries to talk about it. The police association, the other candidates, the media will really go after anyone who goes after the police budget. But it is pretty popular to talk about moving money out of the police budget and towards more useful services, but it's it's uh, you get hounded if you try. The other the other area of, of uh, you know sort of equivocations maybe too strong a word, but um, you know people just don't want to like deep dive into it. Is is really what are we going to do about transit and housing? Um, I mean of this quotes unquote progressive candidates we're seeing pretty well everybody agree about you know you don't you don't, you don't remove uh, forcibly people from parks um, that's pretty yeah. no-brainer there but but what to do about it other than going after other levels of government which yeah you know um, yeah we can't rely on that exactly so 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 talk maybe about those two issues because I know um, in particular transit is close to your heart yeah I mean transit is super important, and it's been getting more and more expensive. Um, so the, the city, obviously, as everyone says, has a um, budget problem, but there's a huge number of very wealthy people in Toronto, and there are ways to raise revenues. Not many candidates are talking about exactly how to do it, but a few are, whether it's more of a parking levy, property tax increase, property taxes on uh, sort of super mansions, which there are a lot of in Toronto. Um, so there's there's a lot of ways to do it, but basically transit just needs, like the service needs to be good. Um, we're losing people, and it's what's called, a, I'm sure you've talked about this, the sort of death spiral. Once service gets bad and it gets expensive, people are going to be taking Ubers, buying cars, driving cars. So transit is a, it's a really important climate solution. It's a really important equity matter. Cars are way more expensive in the long run. So we've, we've got to have um, candidates that are really serious about transit and not just saying, I'm going to beg Doug Ford for money. 
Yeah, because he's going to say no. <laughs> That's very straightforward. Now, now housing, um, um, and, and thank you for mentioning um, the budget part, because that's another area people are a little hazy on. Um, I thought it was pretty daring that Josh Matlow came right out and said, I'm going to increase property taxes. Maybe yeah. not the smartest political move, but but um, but I, but again, uh, you're right. Uh, and, and the other thing that kind of hits me also as a Torontonian um, is – that uh, boy, boy, do we let parking go for the cheap in this town? Yeah. And there's lots of places you can park for free. I don't know of any place you can take transit for free. So um, it's yeah, that's problematic. I think the city could do a lot more in raising money. And city has l- properties, right? City has land. Um, they yeah. could be developing themselves. Um, I mean, there are little projects here and there, depending on the city councilor. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so well, yeah, go ahead. Something on something on housing. I think you were t- touching on something that uh, we might cover. I think others have touched on it. Is that we are actually losing units of affordable housing. It's not just that we're not building affordable housing, which we're, we're not for building truly affordable housing, but because of evictions, because of rental evictions, where landlords kick out tenants to do minor renovations. Um, or all sorts of evictions, they then get rented out at, you know, sort of very high rents. And so the city is losing affordable housing. Um, and that is, you know, we have all these candidates talking about, I'm going to build affordable housing. We just need to, we first need to stop this, this like, uh, kicking tenants out on the street to reduce affordable housing units. And then, yes, absolutely, uh, we're in favor of building more uh, co-op housing, non-profit housing, public housing. Uh, speaking, just uh, if you're tuning in to David Gray Donald, he's the publisher and editorial director of The Grind, uh, a paper you should definitely pick up. If you were a fan of Now For Sure, pick it up. Um, just pick it up if you want to get uh, an alternative view on what's happening in the city. Um, but Dave, since I've got you on the line, uh, something uh, happened yesterday politically in this country. I was wondering oh, if I could yeah. get your take on. So uh, the you, you know the Conservatives won a, a majority in Alberta, and this is with someone, I mean, again, if you're on social media, you tend to be, you know, dealing with you in your own little rabbit hole. So I think that's why it seemed like more of a shock to, to some people, and it probably actually was, um, that the the Conservatives would win a majority because it looked like the NDP there was, you know, inching up and possibly could take it. Um, but only if you were only speaking to kind of progressives online. Um, so what what happened there? And uh, and and why? I mean, now we've got Blue Canada, really, for the most part. Yeah. So for, for people who didn't follow along, the NDP got about 38 seats, and the United Conservative Party got 49. So it was not a blowout, but not that close. And the NDP mostly won in Calgary and Edmonton, and the UCP won everywhere else, um, almost everywhere else. So... Yeah, I was talking about it with some friends. I used to live in Regina, and so I was talking with some friends last night from there, and similar sort of NDP in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And it's hard to motivate young people without a serious climate plan. And the Alberta NDP and the Saskatchewan NDP don't have a serious climate plan. They're in lockstep with the oil and gas industry, and it's really demoralizing. And it's hard to get excited about a party like that. 
Uh, absolutely. In fact, my first tweet of the morning was directly um, to that. And I just said, uh, this is a wake-up call, uh, and uh, you can't you can't mo motivate people if you're a centrist party and a climate crisis denier. I mean, it's that, mm -hmm. that's that clear. Um, there was a, a poll, I'm sure you're aware of it, from the Fraser Institute right-wing think tank that said that most 18 to 43-year-olds are, are consider themselves more socialist than capitalist, um, and that, you know, uh, if they all got out to vote, um, there'd be no question who would win in most elections, but they don't because they're not um, motivated <laughs> to get out and vote. And I think Alberta is a perfect petri dish of, of why. Um, yeah, if you're in lockstep with big oil and big gas, um, you know, people are not going to vote for you if they're on the progressive left, it seems to me, but, you know. Um, so how do, what do we do to change this around? Uh, you're, you're part of the change, talking to uh, uh, David Gray Donald here, publisher and uh, editorial director of The Grind new paper. Please pick it up wherever you see it, and if you don't see it, ask if they'd carry it. Um, how do we change this picture? Oh, I can't give you a full answer in, oh, a, come on, please. in a couple of minutes. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that people can join organizations and push in their community and push the narrative and put forward bold ideas, uh, make a demand and stick with it. So whether it's uh, reductions in transit fees or like TTC Riders is doing, you know, have a have an organization that puts forward a demand, that builds a base of people, and does education, that makes noise in the media, and sticks sticks with the demand. So many groups or so many people get on one issue and then follow it for a few months and then give up, and it takes a long time. It takes a really long time to normalize an idea, to build support, to change things. You know this from from mm -hmm. your your days in government and and all of your activism, and it takes it takes time, it takes a lot of people. We need mass movements that are working together and in collaboration and, and pushing hard. So to circle back to the Toronto election, um, it's, in a, it's in a few weeks. Um, say, I mean, it looks, according to polls, and of course there can be misleading, that Olivia Chow is well out in front. Um, if Olivia Chow uh, gets elected. What do what do activists and progressives need to know about about that? I mean, what should we do um, if we get a progressive mayor? We had Tory, of course, for many years. That was not progressive. Now, if we get someone who bills herself as progressive, um, what do we do? We just all relax, or what? Well, I I think uh, no. We we push push hard for the issues that we care about and, and people do relax often when they when there's a uh, more progressive candidate elected but there's a huge bureaucracy that's pushing against them there's a, a huge business lobby that's going to be pushing against any candidate trying to make changes i'm curious what you think based on the the david miller experience i was not living in toronto at the time but uh what do you think happened in that era uh well good some good things and uh, and some and more more what didn't happen. Um, the good things that happened, and I only see this as as progressive as it is. I've spent some time in California this year, 
um, which remarkably where I was living had way worse, for example, recycling policies than we have here in Toronto. So David Miller was was uh, very seminal in getting the way we put out our garbage and get it collected changed, and that's a good thing. Um, but um, what what didn't happen? What didn't happen were major moves on the housing front, which is the issue and has been the issue for decades. Uh, so, um, just to because I'm you know older than dirt um, and I've lived in the city a long time. Um, I mean, just to say that I was a street kid and street involved. And back then, on social assistance, you could rent a room, feed yourself, and go to school, which I all of which I did uh, on social assistance. That's clearly impossible. I also lived in yeah. a city that didn't have food banks and that had only a very few sh you know shelters um, and only needed a very few shelters there wasn't the homelessness problem and that interestingly enough was under conservative governments municipally federally and provincially so it wasn't about partisanship it was about quite frankly taxation um, back then rich people paid taxes and they don't <laughs> now <laughs> um, so there's a lot of that um, but again the city has some hand in that so um, David Miller brought in the transfer tax, not a bad thing, um, but we were talking earlier about mayoral candidates and how they're going to generate the revenue, which I asked every single one of them who, who've been on this show. And um, again, there was a lot of obfuscation, um, but uh, nobody wants to, other than Josh, say that they're going to raise property taxes, but certainly there's room to do that, uh, hugely room to do that, considering other um, cities of some size in this in this province, and especially on luxury um, bills, and uh, and you know, and and making you know, sort of rooming houses available or legal, um, allowing people to develop laneway, like doing a lot of things to to provide housing doesn't cost a lot of money. And also what Miller could have done and should be done is like freeing up a lot of land that the city holds for housing and exerting uh, power where power can be exerted on things like right now um, around the the threat to Ontario place. I mean, the city owns land down there. City, um, yeah. The city has some weight. So anyway, um, that's those are some of the some of the comments. Um, so so Miller is kind of not quite this not quite the Bob Ray of municipal <laughs> politics. <laughs> I would have uh, worse things to say about the Ray days, but um, uh, but yeah, um, it's kind of a missed opportunity is what it is when progressives get into office. So I guess that's what I I think if they're not really progressive and if they don't really yeah. push their weight around. I mean I. I think they should use a strong mayor capacity because, yeah, do it. I mean, th here's my thing. And anyway, we're speaking here today. I'm doing too much of the talking here, but speaking to David uh, Gray Donald, who's publisher and editorial director um, here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you're just tuning in to CIUT 89.5 FM. Um, yeah, I mean, the conservatives, when they get a majority, uh, they uh, they ram through everything. They do everything. Um, progressives tend to be quite shy about making bold moves when they get elected. So that's what I'd say. So you were going to say something. Yeah. Jump in. <laughs> It'll be really interesting with with the strong mayor powers if uh, Doug Ford will leave them, if someone like Olivia Chow is elected, or if he'll just pull them away, as he just does what he wants. And to your point, he just uh, will do whatever suits him. And now but it is an interesting point. Yeah. Now you um, 
you just we all just witnessed the Alberta uh, situation. Um, we're about to see a mayoral election in Toronto. Hopefully, the same thing doesn't happen here. And um, and it strikes me that uh, the other aspect of life in the city is is becoming almost completely unaffordable. So thoughts about the lack of affordability here, whether you're owner, renter, whoever you are, um, it's hard to buy groceries these days. So um, what needs to happen there? Well, it's, it's both a larger problem in Toronto, but also the city does have, does have some powers, uh, whether that is I mean, transit being a big one and... Um, well, the housing, it takes a while to build and change housing, but the, the city could uh, take and operate more nonprofit and, and co-op housing pretty immediately. But uh, it's, it's a challenge right now. It's, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to give a, a really succinct answer on this, mm-hmm. but there are a few things the city can do, uh, transit being one, and uh, then... I don't know. It's uh, it's going to take a bigger shift, um, and it's, it's going to take the province and, the, and the, the federal government as well. But the cost of goods has got to go down, and the thing that's happening that we've seen is a huge explosion of corporate profits in the last uh, five, ten years, including the pandemic. The pandemic was great for most companies, most major companies, and no one's going after them. Mm-hmm. Now, the city of Toronto has limited powers of corporate taxation, so it's a little bit out of the mayor's jurisdiction. But it is certainly something that any politician, anyone in media can bring up, because it's a very hidden effect. So the labor has been getting, the workers have been getting less of the share of, uh, of goods, of um, revenues, and corporations and shareholders in particular have been getting a huge share. We need to we need to raise this think about that. Yeah, I mean the rich in Canada increase their wealth. Um, the richest increase their wealth by about fifty one percent during the pandemic. So they uh, they did okay. Talking about money, um, again talking here to the publisher and editorial director of the Grind New Paper, and please pick it up and keep it going. Um, Dave Gray Donald. Uh, there was, I remember there's an old joke when I lived in farm country briefly about farmers, what, what would farmers do if they won the lottery? And, and the answer is they would keep farming until it's all gone. Um, it seems to me there's a corollary in opening a, a newspaper in Toronto or any, any print medium. Like, uh, so, I mean, you've done this very brave thing. How are you ever going to keep it running financially? Well, it's a good question. Um, and what we're betting on is that there can be two revenue streams. These kind of papers, these three papers, they used to be called alt-weeklies, but we're not publishing um, that quickly. What used to happen was they were 100% ad revenue-based, which means when advertising goes down, like a pandemic or downturn in the economy, it's really tough. So our bet is that we can um, operate with uh, donor support, you know, sort of reader support, and that is a much healthier way. So having two revenue streams where readers are supporting it, but it is remaining free if anyone wants to pick it up. So we're at cafes, bars, bookstores, 
uh, in the TTC, though it, this is, it goes really quickly in the TTC. Um, so we want it to be a magazine that gets out there for a lot of people, and also in a couple weeks we're going to launch uh, a fundraising campaign. We did a fundraising campaign right around the launch in October and November, and that raised about $30,000. So there's definitely a, a hunger from people in the city. They want to see this. They want to support it. And we've, we're getting some advertisers. Um, we've got ad space and a really engaged audience. So we're, we're making it work. It's not easy, as you say, but uh, we think that there are enough advertisers and people who want to support, and we really encourage people to, to do both, you know, advertise your products, your services. Um, it, it's a, a really good way to get to people. Uh, social media is just so crowded right now for advertisers, and everyone ignores every ad on there. Um, so donate and advertise, and I think we can make it work. Well, certainly here on the Radical Reverend Show, we hope that you can. You've got issue four out. What what should we look for in, in in the upcoming issue, which we hope comes out at some point soon? So, yeah, we've got an issue coming out in a few weeks, uh, a week or so before the mayoral election. So we're going to be, of course, following the election, giving a bit of an update of what's happened so far and who the front-running candidates are, how to engage with them, after they get into office, uh, and then it's Pride Month, and you, you know, of course, you're talking about this on the show, is that trans people are, are really under attack right now, and it's really scary, so we've, we've got an article about that, um, about some of the inspiring fight back that people are doing, it's, uh, and then lots of arts and culture coverage, but yeah, that'll be out on around June 16th, 17th. And that will go in the TTC, and again, around 250 locations around the city. We do have a map on our website, www.thegrindmag.ca. There's a map on there of where to find it. There's the PDFs of all the issues, and there's instructions on how to donate. Uh, in, in terms of the cultural component, we just got a few minutes left, but I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to focus entirely on the politics because it's it's so important to get the news out about what's happening culturally and musically oh, yeah. in this town. Um, I, I mean, hopefully that's a source, too, of revenue for you. I mean, that those are advertisers. <laughs> yes, yes. We've had some good film festival ads and music ads. So, um, talking here on the Radical Reverend Show to publisher and editorial director David Gray Donald. Thank you so much for your time, um, Dave. And also, um, just full disclosure, I just learned that you sit on the board of CIUT 89.5 FM. Yes, I do. And we're so grateful to everyone who supports CIUT. Uh, the spring fundraiser was great, and we're still taking donations, as you've mentioned. But yeah, love CIUT. Um, love the music and the spoken word shows. So important that alternative media be, be kept alive because uh, um, if you're like me, you just kind of turn on mainstream media to find out what the weather is, and even then they sometimes lead you astray. So, <laughs> so do support your local alternative radio in this t- town as well as your local um, alternative print.
Um, all the best, Dave, uh, and please out there, pick up the grind. You'll really enjoy it. Those who are, are in withdrawal, you know, missing their now, will will get what they need here. And and certainly in terms of a progressive voice, you're not going to be led to stay with the grind. Till next time. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much. Take care. Take care. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of a, a break here um, and get our next guest on on the show. And I have to give you a little bit of preamble for our next guest. Uh, her name's Ayena Vermillion. And I met Yenna, and I'm hoping I pronounce her, her name correctly here. Um, I met her at Wilfrid Laurier, which had, and a shout out to Wilfrid Laurier for doing this, had an absolutely fabulous uh conference call on queer theory, which is not a regular thing to see anywhere going into Pride Month next week. And by the way, on the Radical Reverend show, this will be one of your places on CIUT to get the best of Pride programming. Um, and Yenna was one of the, uh, the presenters on that. Um, and again, just a fascinating person, um, just in terms of her uh, background and what she does, and I'm going to give it to you um, up front. I'm the founder, founder and executive director of Swap Hamilton, uh, trans femme full service sex worker, porn performer, activist of almost a decade who lives with disabilities. She's limited experience being incarcerated, homeless, working outdoors and on the street. And as an undocumented migrant in the U.S., she's been featured in several national media outlets speaking about the decriminalization of the sale and trade of sexual services. Yelena, are you there? Oh, oh, we've got we've got a little bit of break, so hold on. We're going to get her on the line in just a minute. Um, and meanwhile, just sit back and enjoy. And thanks again to Riley on the other side of the glass. Stay tuned for the next on the Radical Reference Show. Fell asleep amid the flowers For a couple of hours On a beautiful day Daydreamed I dream of you amid the flowers For a couple of hours Such a beautiful day I dream of the places I've been with you how we sail with the stream flowing by And then when I kissed you and held you so near Tell me why, tell me why you're so shy Daydream, I fell asleep amid the flowers For a couple of hours Daydream, come and dream amid the flowers For a couple of hours on a beautiful day I dream of the places I've been with you
flowers for a couple of hours, singing all of the The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Again, sorry about the little delay there. Just a few technical difficulties at this end. Nothing major. Uh, Anyway, as promised, and I'm so excited about this next guest, uh, and the first thing she's probably going to have to do is correct the spelling. So is it Yelena? Yes, it is. J-E-L-E-N-A. Sorry, Sherry. I'm so sorry. I've been from coast to coast, America. I've been in Europe. I've been so busy. So sorry for my delay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was telling folk at the top of the show uh, just how wonderful it was to get to meet you at the Queer Theory uh, Conference in, 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 you know, Waterloo. So anyway, great to have you on the show. I gave them a little sense of what you're doing. I first and foremost want to talk about your swap work in Hamilton. Talk about that. Oh, 
Thank you so much. Uh, and also, again, apologies for the delay. Um, just to give people a sense, I am a leader in the sex workers' rights movement. I run the Sex Workers Action Program in Hamilton, formed in late 2018. Um, we are a community-based group which for, uh, focuses in three main areas, education, advocacy, um, and education. So, um, or an outreach, pardon me, education, outreach, and advocacy. So some examples of that, our original... Um, project were harm reduction outreach bags. Uh, before we had a drop in space, we would create these bags uh, with pamphlets of curated local resources that we would have conversations with local service providers and vet sort of their policies and procedures to make sure that they weren't infantilizing or treating sex workers, um, you know, with disrespect and, and with a lack of dignity. Um, and we would go onto the street on the stroll on Barton Street to provide them with these packages. They would have items for harm reduction, so for inhalation and injection, um, so that we would be reducing harm. Um, and we'd also have safer sex supplies, uh, cosmetics, because we also believe for in, like for for people who need um, to use harm reduction techniques, people don't necessarily want to take care of themselves if they're not sort of reflected in their community. So it's not just about, here's some safer drug supplies, here's some safer sex supplies, but also, here's some makeup, here's some candy, um, you know, it's not going to pay your rent, but at the very least, like, we're not trying to say, you know, clean up. Um, so that was a very, that was a small project that we started with. And then we learned through that project that they really weren't being treated well. Um, in fact, when I moved to Hamilton, there was this, this gentleman who had said, oh, Barton Street, yeah, get yourself a hooker. So the the, the stigma is very, very... Uh, intertwined, not just in Hamilton, but all over the world, um, the whore stigma. Um, and, and that's what we aim to combat at SWAP. Um, <clears throat> so from that project, we went towards advocacy and education. We had held a forum um, at the Unitarian Universalist Church, in the First Unitarian Universalist Church in Hamilton, where they were having um, candidates speak about their uh, views on sex work uh, and, and other topics. Um, at that church, uh, including Matthew Green, and we posed those questions. His, he was the only one who answered positively about it being a labor issue, about sex work being, um, you know, a women's rights issue, a disability rights issue, a migrants' rights issue, um, an LGBTQ rights issue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and at the end of the day, Sherry, I think what's most important and what SWAP aims to combat is the fact that most of the legislation we have right now um, it is not based in empirical evidence. It causes the death, the, um, the imprisonment, the apprehension of their children, and the ostracism from society for sex workers. And ultimately, um, it's erroneous that the laws exist uh, in Canada. Um, and one more area of our, our purview, pardon me, would be uh, education. We provide the best practices training to local uh, organizations and businesses. Some examples are the AIDS Network, which is our local AIDS service organization. We have had um, uh, our fiscal sponsors, Grenfell Ministries, which is actually a harm uh, harm reduction organization that is uh, based in Unitarian Universalist principles. Um, so we've had such an amazing community buy-in and uptake of uh, the harm reduction and support for sex workers. And eventually we did get our drop-in space that we had for a year through funding from the Women um, and Gender Equity Fund, Canadian Women's Foundation Fund, where we were hosting um, 
film events and uh, drop-in spaces. We had a couple of drag events. Um, local star Hexi Noir was there, who has been in the in the media recently for being attacked by by um, homophobes and bigots. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll I'll maybe leave a space for you to ask me another question. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot I could speak about in the work I've done with Swap, but it's been been a long time. <laughs> I mean, I, Yelena, Yelena Vermillion is who am I speaking to, and uh, and you just heard her tell you a bit about yourself out there in listener land. Um, and I wanted you to talk about your legal challenge as well that you're involved in, because most people don't have a clue about what laws exist around sex trade work in this country or in their jurisdiction. Uh, and, and what are you doing about that? Absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing it up. So Swap Hamilton is a member group of the 26 nationally located member groups of the Canadian Alliance for Sex Work Reform. So there's 26 sex work uh, organizations in Canada, believe it or not. They're of an alliance, and this alliance, over the years, um, formed in response to uh, the bullshit, or pardon me, the nonsense that we were seeing at uh, sex workers. So we have... um, for example, the Bedford case, which was an amazing, really groundbreaking case of three sex workers who had um, sued the government because what was happening before the Bedford case, this was before 2013, was that the laws on the books basically made most parts of the sex work transaction illegal. Um, so, for example, it was illegal to communicate in, in public for the purposes of prostitution is how the law was written. Um, this could include beeping your horn, um, this could include any sort of gesture towards a sex worker on the street. So you had you had clients being arrested for honking their horn is one small example. Um, <clears throat> and there were other parts of the industry, for example, the actual purchase was illegal back in the day. And it created this atmosphere, it fostered an atmosphere of violence and exploitation for sex workers. And that is this, that is distinct from saying that sex work itself is exploitative, because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you have criminal law, which disallows a worker from you know, instituting safety prevention methods, then it really creates a sticky situation. And the sex workers in Canada, the three we had in our case, Amy Lebovich, Valerie Scott, and Terry Jean Bedford, um, wonderful, brave women and sex workers, uh, stood up against that violence, and they, they demonstrated to the Supreme Court eventually that the laws that were on the books when they followed them, they were at risk of violence and sometimes murder. And when they didn't follow them, they were arrested or their children were apprehended or worse. And so they proved that. It was found unconstitutional. Those laws were removed. And Parliament was provided one year. Those laws were suspended for one year and provided one year to institute new laws or they would have been de facto decriminalized in Canada. At that time, um, very close to the uh, deadline, um, we had... um, our wonderful conservative Stephen Harper's government at the time institute what we now have in law, the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, PCEPA, also known as Bill C-36. And notice the, the framing of the, the, the phrasing of the words, um, protections of communities and exploited persons. Well, I, I tell you, I'm not exploited. <laughs> Um, and the idea that sex workers are a nuisance to the community. It's a very insidious piece of legislation. And what this piece of legislation does is exacerbates all of the same harms and more that were proven to be unconstitutional in Canada in the Bedford case. And so we have a situation where Stephen Harper's conservative government literally disrespected the decision of the Supreme Court, and sex workers have been fighting since 2014 to reverse that, that um, indignity, that uh, injustice. 
um, and for the first time in 2014, selling sexual services is now a crime. That is a confusion. That's a something that people are very often confused about because the conservative government sold the public a lie. They said, this is the feminist model. This is the equality model. Sex workers are no longer criminals. But the thing is that for the first time in 2014, selling sexual services was actually entered into the Canadian Criminal Code. So for the first time, they are considered criminals. And while there is what is called an immunity for prosecution for sex work, for selling one's own sexual services, that still remains the fact that they are in the CCC, they are surveilled, targeted, and harassed by police. And we have to understand that these laws, as well as other laws that intercept, like vagrancy laws, municipal bylaws regarding to um, loitering, etc., are all weaponized against sex workers in public space um, in order to eradicate their existence. Unfortunately, um, you know, these laws are unconstitutional and they impact the most marginalized sex workers in our industry, that including black, indigenous, Asian, and otherwise racialized people of color, um, and migrant sex workers specifically. Because in Canada, if you work as a sex worker without status, meaning without permanent residency or citizenship, um, and even with a work permit, you uh, are, or sorry, even without a work permit, you are liable to be deported. Every single work permit in Canada has on red ink in it not to be used in the sex industry. And, and also, we have um, usually three times the tuition rates for international students. So who is really being exploited? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably a good segue for you. Yeah, thanks. I was speaking to uh, Yelena here at Vermilion, and, uh, and you, you heard her, an incredible advocate for sex trade workers, uh, and as, as well as, as trans rights, too, which I want to get into. But, uh, <laughs> Yelena, before we leave the sex trade worker, so what, what is the ideal? What do you want in Canada? What, what do we need to be advocating for who uh, need to be supporting you? So we want decriminalization. That means the removal of all laws related to sex work, including municipal bylaws. That doesn't mean that we're going to have brothels popping up like McDonald's. That's not the case. What it means is that it will remove the ability for sex workers, not remove the ability, pardon me, it'll remove the ability for police to be in sex workers' lives, to force themselves in sex workers' lives. Because you have to understand, if when you're in conflict with the law, there's no way that, that sex workers can call upon the police in times that they need them. And uh, segueing into the trans rights stuff, which actually does relate to the sex work advocacy as well, I do. I am a um, consult- consultant with the Priority Population Consultation Team through uh, Canada, Trans Falls Canada. So we've done research, and I've helped, you know, um, frame frame questions, and you know, I've helped uh, with policymakers the, the documents the policymakers are reviewing through Canada Trans Falls. I always get the name wrong. Trans Falls Canada. Um, we have research specifically about trans and non-binary sex workers and their expectations of violence from the police. Up to 90% of trans and non-binary sex workers in, in Canada, at least that were surveyed through this uh, national survey, um, expect poor treatment and or violence from police if they were to call them, especially in the context of doing their work. And also related to that, almost over half, um, I think it was 63% of trans and non-binary people in Canada that were surveyed through this national survey um, have unmet health care needs, and I actually was one of those people. So um, tying all of that in together, uh, we, I think the, the overlying um, theme is stigma, you know, stigma against people who do sex work, stigma against trans people, and specifically trans women, and especially trans black women. 
um, yeah, it's pervasive. Um, I'm happy to talk more about, uh, you know, Transpulse Canada, whatever you'd like. What would you like to know, Sherry? <laughs> well, Yelena, first of all, I, I, as you're speaking, I'm thinking um, because, I, you know, it was my bill that finally added Toby's Law that added gender mm-hmm. identity and gender expression, the Ontario mm-hmm. Human Rights Code, which covers health care. So clearly not getting the health care you need or anyone needs in the trans and non-binary community is, uh, uh, is counter to our our uh, provisions in the Ontario Human Rights Code. Agreed. So, you know, so something, um, something got to give there. So just so you're aware, um, um, and the more, I mean, this is the problem now, of course, is that we who fight for legislation want to see it enforced, or in fact, in your case, to decriminalize, not enforced. <laughs> um, so um, exactly. So I, so again, like to go back to the the safety here. And as you were speaking, I'm thinking, have you ever thought about unionizing? So unionizing is difficult. So we have one small example of unionization out of Toronto where the actual employees of Maggie's Toronto Sex Workers Action Project um, are affiliated with a QP local now. Um, the, the issue here is that many of our members are marginalized, and so not, not many of them necessarily want to be in a public-facing union. Uh, many of them, you know, even uh, are reticent to participate in public events. This is because of their safety constantly being, um, you know, in jeopardy. Uh, whether that be, you know, they, ha- they are single mothers with children who don't want to be identified as a sex worker because they're afraid of their children being taken away erroneously. Um, all up to, you know, people who are um, using drugs, who are afraid of being drugged, or sorry, not um, judged and stigmatized as a drug user. Um, even, you know, there's nothing wrong with using drugs. Just to clarify, we support those who use drugs, we support harm reduction, we support safe supply, um, we support our local uh, consumption and treatment sites, and we rebuke the violence against those uh, who face uh, ostracism and um, judgment from our community members who just don't understand or who refuse to understand. So, um, yeah, I think it's really sad, considering all the work you've done, Sherry, uh, to advocate for LGBTQ communities, trans communities that you know, on the letter and the spirit of the law, it should be happening this way, should not be happening this way, yet we have um, all of this nonsense, all of this hatred. It's, I mean, I can tell you my experience as a woman living with disabilities trying to rent, um, not a fun time, <laughs> not a fun time. Yeah. You know, they can, they can say, they can come up with any reason to deny you. It, it, there's no way to prove that it's under a certain protected cl- uh, clause or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so yeah. Yel- Yelena, just to, to, to jump here for a minute, because we don't have all that much time yet. Speaking to Yelena Vermillion here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you just tuned in on CIUT 89.5 FM, and by the way, it's never too late to give. So, you know, fundraising continues. Um, mm-hmm. But I uh, wanted to, to talk about the rise. I mean, there's over 100 pieces of legislation now in American state governments uh, targeting trans and non-binary um, folk. Um, f- you name it, in all sorts of different ways um, being targeted. Yeah. And uh, we are currently seeing, in fact, I'm going to Queen's Park on Thursday to highlight this. Um, we are we are seeing a rise in violence against uh, the entire spectrum of LGBTQ2 plus people, but particularly yeah. for trans and non-binary people, even here and of course, we've seen demos outside of drag shows, you know, the whole thing. Um, so this rise, which is, uh, you know, bizarre to me, like absolutely bizarre, but, you know, it's the rise of the right. Um, so it, in light of your work and seeing this, what looks like a big step backwards politically in most of North America and some parts of the world, um, yep. what, like, what can we do and what are you doing? 
So um, I will say that I'm very much aware of that. Uh, recently at the Canadian Lions Conference, I was mentioning the connection between um, the proliferation of like QAnon and these anti-drag protesters and et cetera, and how they're actually connecting that to like um, these ideas of grooming and ideas of trafficking. So it's very insidious. Um, I'm friends with Hexi Noir personally, so sh- uh, they, they are one of the drag artists who has been incredibly targeted for their performances. Um, and it's it's very unfortunate. Um, trans people are, are under attack, full stop. Uh, I'm a trans woman, and it's terrifying. I'm white, so I certainly have a um, degree of protection from violence, but at the end of the day, I am trans. Um, and, you know, we see... I think I was watching the John Stewart show. It's over 200% increase of anti-trans legislation, and as you put it, over 100 bills. Um, and one of the terms I'd like to use that you uh, coined in the, the the activist symposium was Christofascism. These Christofascists um, using religion as their so-called uh, you know reason um, are simply just weaponizing transphobia, homophobia, bigotry um, in under the guise of protecting children. Um, but let's be real, uh, drag artists, uh, who would you rather leave your child with, a drag artist or a priest? I certainly would prefer to leave mine with the drag artist. Uh, so we, we, we do see targeted violence, an increase of targeted violence against trans people and gender nonconforming folks. Uh, you know, and, and of course, the broader LGBTQ2S plus community. Yeah. Uh, it's it's and, terrifying. And even, and even within the community. I mean, here's so so uh, friends uh, told me about a piece of literature they've received in the mail um, called Gays Against Groomers. Mm-hmm. Um, these are mm-hmm. inevitably um, white men, gay men, um, who are conservative politically because they do exist and they are out um, across Canada and the States. Uh, I, 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 you know, an anti-trans. Um, and of course, we've seen the rise of turfdom um, across yeah. here, you know, and J.K. Rowling being an obvious example in the U.K. It seems to be a center for that. Um, I mean... This is like where I, I mean I'm, I'm sort of asking you to be a shrink for a minute here because like oh, where okay. yeah like where is this coming from like this Honestly, is just genuinely bizarre to me. Yeah. I heard okay I know that it's a cliche but I heard um, I watched this TikTok off of one of my favorite YouTubers I don't think I'll say the name just for the whatever but mm-hmm. um, and it was this video of this wife who eventually got divorced from her husband because. He would go on these trips, and he'd never bring anything back. And then she got suspicious and went after him and found out that he was having an orgy with eight other men in his community, but he was actually the most homophobic person she ever knew. So I think that, like, you know, um, I think it is a cliche, but I do think that a lot of what this is is repression. I also have heard a repression of their own sexualities and a projection of that hate, that uh, discomfort for not being able to express themselves um, with hope being judged by a society that they themselves fostered. Um, I would also say um, in regards to, like, what causes it, I mean, obviously religious dogma, religious bigotry, all of these kinds of ideas, um, even though I think Jesus was a pretty cool guy and probably wouldn't have minded that I'm trans, and uh, not to mention... Hey, hey, he said 2,000 years before Lady Gaga, some are born that way, Matthew 1912, (laughs) just just saying, some are born that way. Anyway, continue, continue, yeah. Oh, no problem. Yeah, and I, so I think part of it could be projection. You know, some of these people are, are struggling with their own identities and stuff. But also, um, I think it's a lot of it is a distraction. I mean, th- there's there's fascism creeping in through our laws, and I think that trans people are just like a an easy target. We have, uh, you know, an election season coming up, so there's got to be a new topic for people to 
to latch on to. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know psychologically what the reason is other than perhaps being small-minded and not critical in their thinking enough. Um, but uh, ultimately, they're trying to, you know, frame people who are gender nonconforming or gender diverse or two-spirit as being um, degenerate. And I think that that's disgusting. I think that, uh, and I just want to mention, I'm actually one of the first uh, youth to attend the OKWME group in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. That was a youth group for queer youth um, socialization. There was programming. Um, it saved my life many times over. Um, I understand the need for uh, not just representation, and I don't mean just in media. I mean in in our schools. We need to have teachers that reflect us and our experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how I cannot underscore how important enough, or you know what I'm saying. I can't underscore enough how important that be having community for people who have been ostracized, people who are bullied, people who are targeted, not just by their peers but also in their families, um, to have space. So the fact that that space that has been you know lovingly carved out in our world is being attacked, I think is is. Scary, and I think that's what's truly sinful. Um, truly, is, is absolutely, the, is the hatred that uh, is being thrown towards uh, people like myself, and and we rebuke that at Swap Hamilton for sure. Um, speaking, and it's been such a wonderful conversation, um, Elena Vermillion, uh, this incredible activist, uh, and uh, and truly uh, justice seeker for for all, um, but in particular sex trade workers and trans yeah. and non-binary folk. Um, I'd all also add to your analysis a little bit, I mean, we, we, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, we're seeing an attacks yeah. on women and, um, and attacks on any, um, you know, anyone who presents as a woman, let's put it that way. Um, Absolutely. And, and, anyone, know, anyone coded or perceived a, as a woman. Exactly. And so, so there is, there is that going on. And, um, bef- and I know I'm going to get somebody who immediately says, yeah, but I'm a woman and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm against groomers. Well, I mean, you know, this is the so sad to say, I mean, this is like, you know. We're not groomers. I think that's the thing. We're not groomers. We are human beings. We have families. We're not, we're not degenerate. We're not pedophiles. We're not molesters just because we're queer. We, we love differently. You know what? Like just to get real here, like my literal Maybe I shouldn't say that on air. No, I have family members who were molested. Okay, I was not molested. I've never been sexually abused, frankly. But and go figure. I'm a sex worker. But um, I think that what's most important to understand is that sexual violence is insidious, and to project onto other people the sexual violence or claims of sexual violence that you or your your own communities are actually perpetuating, i.e., the church, i.e., etc. Shame on you. Like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I think, <laughs> how I'm, dare I'm going they? to have to cut you off there, uh, Jillian. I'm so sorry, but it's been so no wonderful problem. speaking to you. And you listen, as well, uh, Yeah, and keep in touch. And thank to all you, of the, uh, those out there in listener land, thank you so much for contributing. Keep it coming. And uh, until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. Ooh, Lord, travel so hard. Ooh, Lord, travel so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Ooh, Lord, ain't my trouble so hard. Ooh, Lord, ain't my trouble so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God.
Starting May 23rd, Tuesday nights are where it's at. Get your groove back Tuesdays at the Redwood Theater. We'll have you down on the